Let's just get right into the Word because I believe the Word will help you and change you. And so last week, I talked about this subject, the most important thing singles need to know. That was part one. This week is part two. And last week, the main emphasis of, uh, of what I shared was, what, really, I told a story about the little business that God's given me and how I'd made some errors on that. And, uh, and basically, what I had emphasized more than anything else, the one simple revelation truth that went forth last Wednesday night, which I'm not going to repeat tonight at, in length, but just as a reminder, hopefully you watched. If you didn't, then make sure you go back and listen, because it will really help you. And I mean, not just in your relationships, but in decisions you make in other areas of your life, it will help you if you're a business person. It'll help you, uh, if you if you are starting something on your own. It'll help you really in every area about your health. It'll either help you with the vaccine, the, de the decision you have to make. It'll help you about what university to go to. Anything you have to make a decision on, what car to buy, where you should buy a house. Oh, some people say, Pastor, I'm going to go and move an hour and a half away from the city because it's cheap. And I cringe sometimes and I say, but, well, are you sure? Because the local church is, is your life. It's, it's your life. The, the, family is, the family of God is our life. And we're not to forsake the gathering together, Hebrews 10, 25. And when you move far away, you put yourself at, at a, a greater disadvantage, especially when the weather gets bad. Are you really going to be that committed and that disciplined to drive when you could have just moved less distance away and maybe paid a little bit more. Now, some people, they just can't afford that, so they have to move far. But I cringe as a pastor because I've seen so many times over the years, they've got a lot of excitement and energy for the first few months, and then they stop. Then they come once a month and once every three months, and then before you know it, they've left the church. And that decision could have been avoided if they hadn't moved so far away. Yet other people, they move far away, but because they're, they've set their hearts and they've set their minds, they make the drive, and they're okay with that. So it's not my place to dictate whether somebody should or shouldn't move far away. I, I don't have the right to do that, and I don't do that. But what I do tell people is what I preached last Wednesday night. What does your spirit say? Don't be moved by the price on the house. Don't be moved by saving money. Saving money is never the right motive in making a decision. You will make mistakes. What does the spirit say? He can make up the money to you. Okay, so you got to go when you're deciding where to buy. What does the inward witness, what does the knowing tell you? How do you get that? Praying in the Holy Ghost. Praying specifically about that decision in the Holy Ghost. Well, I don't know if I should date that person. Well, if they're not saved, they're toxic, they're toxic for you. And so you, that's not even, you don't have to pray about that. Demons will start talking to you. Don't ever pray about something the word is clear on. But if they're, if they're saved, even if they're not part of our flow, but they're born again, they love Jesus, they're hungry. Well, you don't have to just cut it off, but pray in the Holy Ghost. Father, regarding this relationship, I, I just need to know before I take it any further. I don't want to get more, more emotionally attached and become, have the soul ties and then find out later it was wrong and then break it and hurt their heart and hurt my heart. And the rejection issues and all these things, insecurity issues. Let me just know by the Holy Ghost if this is right. If it's right, I'll keep going. Or if I sense peace, I'll keep going. And if there's a check or a red flag or a red light, I'll stop. And you've got to be, you've got to desire more, you know, about that business thing. He said to me, I don't know if I shared this last week. He said, is it more important for you to make money or to be led by my spirit? And I said, Lord, it's far more important for me to be led by your spirit than make money. That's not my motive. My motive is to hear you and obey you. So you've got to ask yourself, is it more important for you to not be alone? 
Or is it more important for you to be led by the Spirit? Is it more important for you to, to have somebody there that's arm candy or that is a companion or is somebody that because you want to smooch in the back parking lot? I, I'm, just being, I'm just being frank with you because we're all human beings. We all have drives. Is that more important or is it more important that you're in the perfect will of God and that you're led by the Spirit? I hope it's the latter because if it's not, I'm telling you, there'll be trouble. There'll be, there'll be struggles. So last Wednesday, the whole message, the simple yet profound revelation was about don't make decisions without a knowing. Don't make it just in the mental arena about anything. You might feel you know, but pray in the Holy Ghost for a while, a sense of knowing and inward witness will come. That knowing will bubble up and be strong. You don't know why you know, you just know that you know that you know that you know. Then you make the decision, whether your mind agrees with your spirit or not, because your mind does not understand the things of the spirit, but your spirit understands the things of the Holy Spirit. And so I was telling the singles uh, that the Lord had said, gather them, for some of them are, are engaging in relationships that displease me and if they continue in this course they're going to suffer loss what God was really saying is he's not mad at anybody he's trying to rescue people he wants people to be spiritual people spiritually led by the Holy Ghost not by their emotions not by their sex drive not by their loneliness not by their insecurity not by their rejection issues not by what their parents told them you're listening to me not by their race well, I feel in my heart something, but they're not, they're not the same skin color as me, so I'm not going to, I can't really go down because mom and dad told me, well, your mom and dad are idiots. I don't mean to be mean, but they're, if they're saying racist things to you, that's idiotic. It's anti-scriptural. That's their culture, but it's not the culture of God. God don't care the skin color. What he cares about is that it's the right match. They could be purple with polka dots as long as they're the right match. And the Holy Ghost will lead you not based on skin color, but based on his perfect will for your life as to if they're going to be the right fit for you. So in praying about this, I said, Lord, how do you want me to handle this part two? Because I knew in my spirit I needed to share part two. And the first thing, and I'm going to read some things to you. So I want you to get your Bibles. If, if you, those of my sons at home that are watching, I want you to get your Bibles right now because uh, my teenage boys are watching. They need to hear this as well. And, and if you're watching, get your Bible because today more, usually I, I just preach and I teach, but today the Lord led me. He said, I want you to read a number of scriptures to them and let my word do the work in them. He doesn't always lead that way, but he led that way today. And so I want to share some stuff afterward, but I want to start with reading some scriptures to you. Now, I've never done this in all the years that I've pastored this church. I've never taken time to really read scriptures on this particular subject. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. There are many more, but I've picked 15 scriptures to read to you that are some of them symbolic, some of them very clear language, other things that's more symbolic language. But in any event, it is 15 scriptures. And the Lord prompted me, he said, find scriptures because I'm a shock tailor that there's still people in the church and there have been from the time we started that no matter how much I say it in preaching, don't date unbelievers, don't marry unbelievers, don't, date un don't court unbelievers, don't be romantically involved with unbelievers. They still do it. Yeah. And so maybe they just think that's my opinion. So maybe it's important that we give you scripture so you can see it's God's opinion and I'm just repeating his opinion and it is my opinion, but my opinion lines up with his opinion, but it was his opinion first. 
And so I want to put this on record so that in the future, when you're talking to people, young adults, teenagers, whatever, Taylor, and, you're, and, they're, ta- and they're struggling with this, refer them back to tonight's service. So I don't have to keep repeating this all the time. And there's many others, but th- I want them to know the Bible says this. And, and if you're going to violate the Bible, then I can't help you. Neither can God. You got to stay with what God's word says. So the first one, are you okay to go with me on that? We'll go a little on a little journey. Let your fingers do the walking, not through the yellow pages, but through God's pages. First Corinthians chapter six. First Corinthians chapter six. If you turn there first, please. First Corinthians, and, I get, and I'm going to just kind of go quick. So if you're not there, then listen, uh, because I can't wait for everybody to, to find it. Some of you, uh, you, the rapture would come before we found it. So uh, first, uh, did I say second Corinthians or first Corinthians? Taylor, which did I say? Well, I, I'm wrong. You should have caught that, brother. Second uh, Corinthians chapter six. Second <laughs> Corinthians chapter six and verse 14. Let me read that to you. Second Corinthians chapter six and verse 14. And it says, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness and what communion has light with darkness? And what concord has Christ met? Now we are the body of Christ. That's why it's referring to the church. But notice it calls the church Christ because we are the body on the earth. He's the head in heaven. And what concord or what alliance has Christ with Baal? In other words, Jesus, the body, has no connection with sinners. Or what part hath he that believeth a believer with an infidel. And what agreement has the temple of God, that's you, with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate. Thus saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord God Almighty." Now, when it says come out from among them and be ye separate, that means we don't act like the world. We don't sin like the world. We don't look at pornography like the world. We don't look at horror movies like the world. We don't cuss like the world. We don't lie like the world. And we don't date like the world. We don't engage in romantic endeavors like the world because we are separate from the world. This is New Testament. I'm not making this up. This is right here. Now, I'm not going to read all of them because it will take too long, but some of them, the really important ones, and I think this is one of the most important because it's one of the most clear in Scripture. I'm going to read to you from another translation. So let me read this one, please, to you uh, from the New Living Translation. And it's again, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. And it says here, it says, Don't team up with those that are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with, live, it's the marriage covenant, with darkness? What harmony can there, between, can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temples and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live in them and walk, in, and walk among them and will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things. And I will welcome you and I will be your father and you'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. Now, I wanna, I'm not going to read the whole part, but I want to read just a couple verses from that section. Again, from the Amplified Classic, it says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Do not make mismated alliances. Mismated, not mismatched. Mismated. A mate. 
a mate as a spouse, a marriage covenant. Do not make mismated alliances with them or come under a different yoke with them, inconsistent with your faith. I mean, brother, you can't make it any clearer. Do not be unequally yoked. And what is a yoke? People don't even know what a yoke is. They're farmers. I'm in farmland. I know. I know what a yoke is. Uh, a yoke is a wooden instrument, and you put two oxen together, and you put that wooden thing around their necks, and it goes around their neck so that they walk at the same pace, and one doesn't go here, and one doesn't go there, and one doesn't go too fast, and one doesn't go too slow. It, it, a yoke forces you to walk in unity. And what he is saying is, don't be unequally yoked. Don't walk in unity in an unequal fashion. What's the unequal fashion? With unbelievers. And the context here is relationships. It's sexual marriage covenants. Because it says, do not make mismated, a mate, alliances with them that come under a different yoke, uh, with them that are inconsistent with your faith. They are not the same faith. This is not an option. This is not up to you to decide. This is not a suggestion. Okay, this is a command. Do not do it. Like he says in Philippians 4, 6, be not anxious for anything. You're not allowed to worry. This is do not marry or date unbelievers. Don't get into some emotional attachments with them in a romantic fashion. Are you with me? For what partnership have right living and right standing with God with iniquity and lawlessness? For how can light have fellowship with darkness? What harmony can there, between, can there be between Christ and the devil? And what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? So that's pretty clear. That's probably one of the most clear ones in the New Testament. So if that's the only one you take, that's enough for you. Now, I want you to look at 1 Corinthians. I'm going to go through quickly some of these. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Some of them you might not think that they have anything to do, but, but they do if you look at them carefully under the lens, okay? 1 Corinthians, is that what it is? 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Oh, I'm, I'm in the wrong chapter, that's why. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Uh, Do not be so deceived and misled. Evil companionships, communion and associations, corrupt and deprave good manners and morals and character. When you have evil associations, that just doesn't just mean people that are robbing banks and committing murder. When you've got associations with people whose God is the devil, remember Christ and Belial, Christ and the devil, light and darkness. When you've got associations or mismated alliances with people that are in darkness, it says that your good manners, morals, and character will be depraved and corrupted. Because they will influence you. First, they want to they do things sexually with you that you know is not right until the marriage covenant. Then they want to go and watch movies. And they want to go and go to the bar. And they want to have parties. And then they want to have drinking. And it's a, it's a slippery slope. Kenneth Hagin said, if you go in the bank long enough, you'll slip into the river. So it says, don't, don't, don't be connected with companionships and associations that are wrong because they are going to affect your character. Well, that could apply, Taylor, to other areas of life, but especially to romantic areas of life. What about Deuteronomy 7 and verse 3 to 4? Can you look at that with me? Deuteronomy 7 and verse 3 to 4. In the Old Testament, I'm going to give you some old and I'm going to give you some new. Deuteronomy 7. I know my, my, this is not my favorite way of ministering. My favorite way is to preach by the gift of prophecy like I did last Wednesday. But sometimes I, there's a teaching 
that has to happen. I can't always just do it that way as a pastor. If I was a traveling minister, I could, but as a pastor, I'm obligated before God to feed and teach you the Bible. And sometimes it comes out in more of a systematic and methodical approach if the Holy Ghost prompts me that way, which he has tonight. So don't, don't disregard and, and not like this flow. Receive this flow like you receive the other flows and you'll be blessed. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse Three, and it says here, neither, this is when, verse one basically says, when you go into all these other nations and he lists all these ites, Jebusites, Hivites, Canaanites, etc. Okay? And he's going, the Lord will deliver you before them and he'll smite them and utterly destroy them and all that kind of stuff. Now verse three, neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. For they will, now listen, listen, listen. God is not any different today as he was then. There are certain things that the old covenant doesn't translate to the new, but there are many things that do. He said, don't murder. We don't murder because of the covenant of love. Love your neighbor as yourself. The tithing covenant carries forward, Hebrews 7, 8. There's many things that carry forward. The legalism of the law, we don't. But God was very clear. Don't marry the sinner because they will turn you to their false gods. And you say, but, but my boyfriend doesn't have a false god. He doesn't have, you know, Gonpati, the Indian, you know, god. He doesn't have, you know, Buddha. He doesn't have this. He doesn't have that. Uh, it doesn't matter because his god might be money. And his God might be sex. And his God might be something else. And there's other gods that don't have images and, and statues attached to them. In other words, when you don't know God, when you're not saved, your focus in life is different. What you worship, what's most important to you is different. And in this day and age, it is the same as that day and age. If you marry people of a different spiritual source, their, their God, what's important to them is going to affect you. And it's true, my brother and sister, and it goes from the old to the new. It says, neither shalt thou make marriages with them. I read that already, verse 4. For they will turn away thy son from following me, and they, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. Did you notice it didn't say slowly? That word in the Hebrew means quickly. If you do, if you intermarry with these ungodly people, I'm not just going to be upset. I'm going to take you out. Yes, sir. And I'm going to not do it in three years to give you time to repent. I'm going to do it quickly. This is how serious God was. In other words, there's zero mercy. There's zero tolerance. There's a zero tolerance policy in the nation of Israel, in the old covenant. You don't marry outside the faith. Yes. And in the New Testament, according to the first verse I read you in 2 Corinthians 6, there's a zero tolerance policy in the kingdom of God and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't marry. Now, God's not going to kill you like he did them. He did. He said, I'll destroy you instantly, quickly, suddenly. But what you do, because we're in a covenant of mercy and grace, he's not going to do that. But what you do is you take yourself out of position because of your disobedience. And now you open the door for the devil to attack and the blessing of God can't get on you the same. And all the stuff we preach about the blessing and this, it can't work for you, right? Because you violated the law of God that says don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Don't take their brides and their sons and daughters for you'll turn away from me if you do that. Oh, I won't. You don't know how much I love you. Who do you think you are? You, you, you are looking at God who is telling you do not do this and you're looking at God. You, little peon, grain of sand, are looking at the crater and saying, oh, you don't know me. I wouldn't do that. And he's saying, I don't. It's, I'm not arguing with you on this. Don't do it. 
You should not do it just out of holy fear and reverence for him, not because you're convinced that you're that strong. I'm telling you. But instead, you'll deal with them this way. You'll destroy their altars and break down their images, verse 5, and cut down their groves and burn their graven images with fire. For you are a holy people. What, is the, what does Hebrews tell us? And other scriptures that we are, a holy, we are a holy nation unto God. We've become separated and consecrated to God by the blood of Jesus. For you are a holy people unto the Lord thy God, and the Lord thy God has chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all the people that are on the face of the earth. Do you see that God loves us in the New Testament as his blood-bought children through the blood of Jesus, like he loved the Jews of the old that he cut covenant through Abraham? And it's the same principle and same context that he's saying, you're mine, I'm jealous over you. Don't you mess around with the sinners and romantic attachments. It's important, guys. I hope, I hope you're knowing my heart, but I hope you're hearing what the Bible says. Have a quick look here with me in Amos chapter 3. Amos, that's in a, a chapter, it's after Job, before Obadiah, it's in the Minor Prophets, Ob, uh, Amos chapter 3, and it says, it's simple, but who can walk together except they be agreed? Do you agree on things if you're dating somebody and you're about to marry them that don't even believe in Jesus? Well, we agree that we're going to discipline our children this way. Well, that's great. Well, we agree on what movies we like. Wonderful. We agree on where we like to vacation. Super. We agree we like Chinese food. Awesome. So do I. But do you agree on serving Jesus? Because the most important things you must agree on, or how can two walk together if they be disagreed? There's going to be friction. That's all that God's trying to say here. Make sure you're agreeing, not on the little things, on the big things. The biggest things is your Savior. Matthew 6.33. We know that verse. I don't even have to read it. Uh, uh, do you know what that verse says, Taylor? I hope you know what that verse Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That means wanting to be right before him. Not right in an argument, in a debate, but right in your heart. I want to live right. I want to be righteous and clean before you, God. I want to be holy and separated before you. Seek first the Lord and, and desire above all to be honorable and right and holy before him. And what? All these other things that you desire, money, uh, mates, whatever, They'll be added unto you. In other words, what does God say? Do you seek what you want first or do you seek being right with me first? It's more important that you're right with me first. I'll add the mate to you. As opposed to you disobeying me and dishonoring what I say and running after the mate, that's not being right. You're seeking what you want. Now I can't add anything to you because you're wrong. So what is our focus? Lord, yes, we want that mate. We want, to, we want that fulfillment, that companionship, that perfect will of God, that person to walk with in our life. But we're not willing to disobey you in order to take what is the leftovers that we see. We're going to be right first and you're going to add it to us. Add him or her to us. Amen. So again, lots of scriptures. What about James chapter 4 and verse 4? Let me read that one to you. James chapter 4 and verse 4. You adulterers and adulteresses. Remember, adultery is sex outside of the covenant of marriage. You're, you're married, but you're, you're having sex with somebody that's not your husband or wife. Fornication is having sex when you're not married. So that's what fornication is before you're married, and adultery is if you're already married, okay? So he's addressing adulteresses and adulterers here, male and female. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God, or enemies with God? Wherefore, uh, whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Right. What he's saying here, notice he's talking in a sexual context. 
Now he's saying you go and sleep around with somebody, uh, it doesn't matter if they're Christian or not, and you're married, or if you're not married, you go sleep around with somebody, that's considered enmity with God. That's considered the world's way of doing things, and God says, this displeases me. Because if you're going to act like a friend of the world, that's what the world does, you're an enemy of me. But it's not just about adultery, the context is adultery. But you could apply it as well to if if you're more interested in befriending people whose father is the devil... And that's your father-in-law. I wonder what your Thanksgiving meals are like when the family comes over. But if you're more interested in having, you, having the friendship with a sinner in a romantic involvement, the, the, word, the Word of God says if you're having friends with the world in that capacity, in a sexual capacity, not just adultery, this could also apply symbolically to a relationship, to a spousal relationship. Not just, uh, the context is adultery, but it means more than that. If your desire is to be sexually active with people of the world, even in a covenant of marriage, the Bible says uh, you're an enemy of God because you're breaking his law. This is New Testament. This is not just old. This is James. And I've read you Corinthians. There's a lot in the New Testament and the Old Testament because it's trans-dispensational. And we have to talk about it because it's astonishing to me how people still don't listen. So at least if you don't listen now, I'm not going to stand before Jesus and he's going to say, son, you preached to them a lot, but you never gave them my word. They they didn't listen because they thought that was just your starchy opinion. But I want you to know it's God's word. And there's more verses than this. I'm just giving you 15. Now, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. Have a look there with me. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. First, and if you say, well, I don't know why you're going at me. I'm not going to do that. Well, it's just good that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And so you need faith to stay pure and to wait and wait for the right person. It takes faith to do that. It takes patience to do that. Faith works by patience. And so having the word go into you that produces faith for this is going to help you, even if you've made the decision not to date an ungodly person, just hearing God talking about this should help you. Amen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. And the Bible says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own? What a verse. You you don't own yourself. All this modernistic garbage. Well, I got rights. You got nothing before God. You might have rights with the Canadian government, but before God, you're not your own. He bought you with his precious blood and he owns you. If you're born again and going to heaven, he owns you. You don't have the right to just decide whatever you're going to do when he owns you. Your job is to do what he tells you to do because you're not your own. In other words, you can't make your own decisions about certain things. Do you understand? That's what this is saying. You're not your own. You can't make your own decisions. He owns you. He bought you. You have to do what pleases him. This is what it means. For you are bought with a price. What is that price? The life of Jesus hanging on the cross and going down to hell. That was the price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That's a very powerful scripture because it lets you know you don't have the right to do whatever you want to do. I don't have the right to do whatever I want to do. Now, don't take it too extreme. I can pick my tie. I don't need the Holy Ghost to pick it for me. I can pick my shoes. I can pick what gym I go to. Now, he might lead me, don't go to that one because it's dirty, or don't go to that one because there's a freak over there. There, A serial killer goes to that one. I mean, he can still lead me. But what I'm saying is, he doesn't, I have, I can do, sir, I don't have to ask him which cereal. I just pick the cereal. He usually picks Frosted Flakes anyway. No, I'm just kidding. I don't drink. That's nothing but sugar. But anyway, I'm saying you don't, you don't have to be weird and legalistic and, and simplistic about this. But what I am saying is, 
certain decisions you know you make on your own. But what this is saying is you're not your own. You can't just do whatever you want in your life. You can't just pick whatever church you go to. You can't just pick whatever mate you marry. You can't just pick whatever house you decide that you want to live in. God owns you. Those decisions will affect the rest of your life. What church you go to will affect everything because it depends what you teach, what you learn. In some churches, you don't learn in others and it will affect the rest of your life. Who you marry will affect the rest of your life. Where you live may not be as big as the first too, but it can affect in many ways where you work, what school you go to, what friends you hang out with, the, what businesses you start. These, you don't have a right to just choose. And isn't that, a, isn't that a freeing thought, Taylor? Not only am I not supposed to just do whatever I want, but I don't want the pressure of doing whatever I want. I want him to lead me. I want to please him, but I also want him to say, this is what I want you to do because then I know I'm not going to fail. If I just pick it, I might mess it up. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 6 and 19 to 20. Now, this is for talking about backsliders particularly, but I still want to read it to you. Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 16. So go with me back to the Old Testament. Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 16. Praise the Lord. And now it says here uh, that wisdom will deliver you from the strange woman. Even from the stranger. This means somebody out of covenant which means an unbeliever, which flatters with her words. Oh, you're so sweet. You're so hunky. Oh, you're chunky. You're huge. Moto, moto, so nice. Got to say twice. I mean, that, 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 she'll just talk to you that way. And she'll lie through her teeth because you ain't that good. Neither are me. Neither am I. Okay, Taylor, let's read it again. To deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger, uncovenanted, which flatters with her words, which forsakes the guide of her youth and forgetteth the covenant of her God. Do you know what that means? This woman used to be saved. She has walked away from the covenants of God. She has backslidden and rejected God and now she's trying to get you. So let me tell you something. You are forbidden to marry an unsaved person and you're also forbidden to marry a backslider. Because if they're already backsliding, when you get them, they're going to keep backsliding and probably pull you off. It's easier if Taylor stands on the chair. Was it easier for him to pull me up or me to pull him down? The law of gravity dictates that it will be easier for me to pull him down. When you're on an elevated position spiritually and they're on a, on a lower position spiritually, it is much harder for you to pull them up to you than it is for them to pull you down. Because remember, false, bad, bad associations corrupt good character and morals. Remember what Psalm 1 says, if you, if you stand with them, if you walk with them, you'll stand with them. If you stand with them, you'll sit with them. And if you sit with the ungodly, you'll become like the ungodly. Yes. How much more could we say if you sleep with them? Yes, sir. Yeah. It didn't say that, but you could extrapolate that from a sexual perspective. If you have associations and then you're talking, you're getting more intimate, then you sit and then you're having more fellowship and then you're getting in bed, you're going to be corrupted. Yeah. It's just the bottom line. That's what God says. For her house, this, un, this backslidden woman... That, that is uncovenanted, that you're not permitted to be with. Her house inclines to death and her paths unto the dead. In other words, there's destruction that's coming to you. Yes, that's right. None that go unto her return again. None take hold of the paths of life. God wants you to take hold of the paths of life. You get involved with the wrong person. If you're a guy, the wrong woman. If you're a girl, the wrong guy. And obviously that applies to same sex. If you, because that's not God's plan. If you get involved with the wrong person for you, evil, sinner especially, backslider as well, that has left the covenants of God, it, it, where you're going is going to be destruction, death, and you won't lay hold of the paths of life. Praise the Lord. 
I know there's not a shouting sermon, but it needs to be said. Proverbs 13, verse 20. Proverbs 13, verse 20. I said, Lord, can't I just talk about something else? He says, I want it on record. I want it on record for future, future people that, want, that need the scriptures on it. Proverbs 3.20. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. The English Standard Version says shall suffer loss. Now the Bible says that the fool says in his heart there is no God. That doesn't just mean atheists. The fool says in their heart, there is no God for me. Every person that rejects Jesus, the Bible calls a fool. Yes, so when you're dating an unsaved person, when you're dating a backslidden person that's walked away from God or that rejects God, they are a fool. And the Bible says here that when you walk with the wise, you'll be wise. And when you walk with the fools, that would include intimacy of marriage or dating, sexual relationships. When you have companionship with fools, you'll suffer loss. Yeah. Now, that's what he said to me last Wednesday. Some of the young adults I'm displeased with, they're engaging and embarking on relationships that are displeasing to me and they will suffer loss if they don't change. See, he's quoting Proverbs 3.20. You get involved with fools, you'll suffer loss. Every person that rejects Jesus is a fool. And don't you kid yourself. Bible says think soberly. It is not a sober thought. It is an arrogant thought. It is a prideful thought to say, I'm all that and if I just, they just marry me, I'll make them, I'll get them saved. Who do you think you are? And it's actually almost witchcraft. Because what you're saying is you're going to try to force something. You're going to try to control something. You're going to try to make something happen. And you can't make something happen. That's witchcraft. You've got to let their will yield to God on their own. Not because they're afraid of losing you, but because they love Jesus. And then many times they'll give their heart to the Lord, not because they really wanted to, because they didn't want to lose you. And now that is a perverted, that's a perverted thing. And it won't last because it's not real. I need to add something here. Many of you got married to unsaved people before you were saved. There is no condemnation for you, the Bible says. If you study the Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 6, and 7, read all three. Not, it doesn't say it at all three, but just to get the context, read all three chapters. It's very clear. If, you're, if, if, if you were married beforehand to an unbeliever and then you got saved, whether you're a man or a woman, doesn't matter. You are, the Bible, Paul says, it's not a command. He says, I'm giving you my opinion. He says, you... I suggest that you stay if the partner, the, the, the spouse, the husband or wife who's not saved is content. That word in the Greek means is pleased. He's not abusing you and he's not in any way trying to stop your spiritual development. That's the condition. If he's trying to stop your spiritual or she's trying to stop your spiritual development, you have a right before God to leave them. But if they are not trying to stop and they're happy for you to go and serve Jesus and they're not hindering you at all, the Bible says don't leave them because they are sanctified because of your faith. That doesn't mean they're going to go to heaven. It means they're covered because of your faith. And how do you not know that your witness to them will lead them to Christ? That's what Paul says. Read that. So if you're married to an unbeliever, don't think that you're automatic, like you're a failure, especially if you did it before you were saved. You didn't know any better. There's no condemnation for you. And no, if they're, if they're pleased to live with you and they're not hindering your spiritual development, stay with them, pray for them. They may get saved. We've seen that in our congregation, Taylor, more than once in the last year or two. They've been praying for years for their husbands and they get saved. And now they're here worshiping Jesus, praying in the Holy Ghost. What a glorious experience. And others that are hard-hearted, you know, if they're trying to hinder your spiritual development, you have a right to leave them. Do you understand? Whether they're abusing you or not, if they're trying to stop your growth spiritually, you have a right before God to leave them. But otherwise, stay with them and believe for their salvation. But don't beat yourself up that you've got an unsaved mate. If you made the decision before you were saved, how could that be your fault? 
What I'm talking about is once you're saved, then you're willfully deciding to date and marry somebody that's unsaved. Now that is your fault. So change it. You say, well, Pastor Craig, I'm, I was saved. I knew it was wrong. I married somebody that was unsaved. What do I do now? You're stuck. Unless they are abusing you, unless they are violating you, or unless they are clearly trying to stop your, hinder you, block you from your relationship with Jesus, then you can leave. But if they're not, you are obligated in God's law to stay. He takes divorce seriously. You can't divorce for just any reason you want. There are boundaries that God sets. So some people have made these bad decisions, Taylor, and unfortunately they have to, they have to lie in the bed that they've, that they've got, but they can still pray and God can still turn that heart. Yes. And if you need more individual counsel, then, then call the church office and come and meet with me because there's always variations to every scenario that is, that it, you know, not everything is that cut and dry. Sometimes there's a lot of things going on. Nothing surprises me. I, I, my first marriage counseling was at 16 years old and I've been doing it every year since, believe it or not. And, and not, I've heard every kind of thing that you can possibly imagine stuff that make your hair stand on the edge. I'm telling you. I've counseled everything that I can possibly think of under the sun in 30 years. Nothing surprises me, nothing shocks me, and I don't judge people. If you need help, if you need counsel, whether it's about sexual things, whether it's about uh, physical violence, whether it's about overspending, which is an, a problem that a lot of couples have, they're out of control, they're, they're going in massive amounts of debt, and they can't control themselves, one party can't and the other party's fine. whatever it is, if you need individualized, hand-tailored counseling, call the office and we'll help you. But I'm just talking here because we have to get on record. God told me, get it on record. I want them to know what my word says about dating and sexual relationships, particularly marriage with people that are backslidden or unsaved. So that's why I'm doing this. Okay. You're still with me. We're almost done. So uh, did I read Proverbs 13, 20? I did. Let's go to the next one, please, which is first, uh, second <clears throat> Corinthians 5, 17. I'll quote it to you. Anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. You say, what has that got to do with relationships? Well, I heard the Holy Ghost say, why would something new want to be with something old? Why would something brand new, a new species of being, the Greek says, somebody that has a father in heaven as opposed to a father in hell. Why would, you know, God the Father versus Satan, why would something, something new and clean and pure want to be with something sullied and old and dirty and filthy? I'm not saying that the person acts filthy necessarily, but their spiritual state in God's eyes is filthy. They may be a nice person with a nice personality and even an upstanding moral character, but their spiritual state is, un, is ungodly, unrenewed, dirty, and filthy. That's what the Bible says, and God says you can't have that kind of companionship. Praise God. Now, have a look with me at Genesis. This is important. Genesis 24, 1 to 4. Genesis 24, 1 to 4. And it says, I want you to see Abraham. He's our great, 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 great granddaddy. He started the whole thing. Out of him came Jesus. With the blessing of Abraham. Remember Galatians 3.13, you're the seed of Abraham. And heir is according to the promise. He's, 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 he's part of our lineage. And Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Genesis 24, 1. And Abraham said unto his, his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, which was an act of covenant. It was an act of swearing an oath. And I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. 
but thou shalt go into my country and into my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. Abraham, our patriarch, was very insistent. My son will not marry an unbeliever. You think God's changed all that much? He hasn't. We saw it from the verses I've read you. He was, very, he was very aggressive on the fact that his son had to marry within the covenants of promise. And, and God is as well. I'm just giving you scriptures here. Deuteronomy 22, verse 9 to 11. Deuteronomy, tw- almost done, 22, verse 9 to 11. Now, this is a little strange. Okay, this is more symbolic. It doesn't talk about relationships, but I want you to understand what what Moses is trying to communicate here symbolically. Let me read it to you. Verse 9, Thou shalt not sow thy vineyard with divers seeds, lest the fruit of thy seed which thou hast sown and the fruit of thy vineyard be defiled. Thou shalt not plow with an ox and an ass together. Thou shalt not wear a garment of divers threads as of woolen and linen together. And then it goes on. Let me just stop there. What is he saying here? What he's trying to say is there's certain things that don't mix. Yes. Right. Now, unrenewed minds will say black and white, yeah. Chinese and Indian don't mix. That's not the way God looks at it. Yeah. He don't care about the bricks and the color of your bricks of your house. <laughs> he cares about what's in your house. He cares about your spiritual state, not the stupid color of your skin or whether you're fat or not fat or whether you're bald or not bald. He doesn't care about the outward appearance. The Bible says he looks at the heart. So God is not interested in that. That's not what he's talking about, not mixing, because I've heard preachers quote this Taylor out of context. You see, you don't mix things, so you don't mix races. That's racism. And that's not what this is saying. God does not look at the outside. He looks at the heart. What this is simply saying is God was saying, don't mix things. If you put right seeds and wrong seeds, it will be defiled. If you put woolen, which is itchy and, you know, it makes you itch and linen, it's going to be defiled. If you put, and this is interesting, if you put a yoke together, and most theologians I've studied after use this verse, use verse 10, as another evidence of saying that God was against marrying unbelievers. Because if you put an ox, which represents the hardworking believer, with a donkey, an ass, that represents a stubborn unbeliever, they cannot work together. They're yoked, but the donkey is fighting the ox, and there's, there's just chaos. And you can't, you're the ox. Don't marry an ass. Amen. Amen. It's probably the only time I can say that scripturally and not sin. Don't marry the donkey. They're stubborn. They don't want what you want. They don't want to yield to God. And they're going to go, and you're going to be trying to plow for Jesus and they're going to be giving you heartache. Don't sow different seeds, not of race, of spiritual sources in the same vineyard, in the same marriage covenant. Don't marry, don't, you're, you're linen. The Bible talks about linen being right, representing righteousness and will not. Don't marry the wool. <laughs> Just keep the threads together spiritually. Keep the animals together spiritually. Keep the seed together spiritually. Do you see that? Oh, I don't think they knew that was in there. Man. I, don't, I, I could never say that, Taylor, outside the scriptures. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> put it, he said, put it on a mug. No, Taylor, we can't, brother. We'll have revolt. Now, 1 Kings 1, 11. 1 Kings 11, verse 1. I'm almost done. 1 Kings 11. Why do I keep saying that? I, I, like I'm apologetic. I'm not apologizing to you. You're going to stay there until I'm done. So just get your popcorn and your tea 
or whatever you drink and relax. Put your feet up. You're not in church. Put your feet up. You are in church, but you're not. First Kings, what did I say, Taylor? First Kings chapter 11 and verse 1. First Kings chapter 11 and verse 1. But King Solomon loved many strange. That doesn't mean, Taylor, that they were a little bit uh, schizophrenic. Okay? That they, that, that, that's not what strange means. You know how you say, you're so special. But the word special is a negative, not a positive. That's not what this is talking about. Strange woman means woman of other, uh, other religions, other races, not the Israeli race, not worshiping Jehovah Elohim, Yahweh, but worshiping their own gods and goddesses, Baal and Ashtoreth and all these things. That's what strange means if you studied in the Hebrew. But King Solomon loved. I mean, King Solomon, David never did this, but his son messed up a bit. Kings, he's, listen, what I don't understand is that God made him the smartest man, the wisest man that ever lived, and he's still take, getting, getting the, the skirts or his eyes are looking at the legs. So that shows me that all the wisdom of God can't stop a man from looking at somebody else that they want. Do you hear what I'm saying? The riches, all the riches, all the wealth, and all the wisdom that God has to bestow, he still messed up. Why? Girls. So obviously the wisdom of God wasn't enough to get him to stop looking at the opposite sex and lusting after them because, you know, that he wanted them and he didn't care that they were worshiping demon gods. I'm serious. So if Solomon, the wisest man in the world, could stumble in this, what, what do you think, you're immune? Because you're not as smart or as rich as him. If he fell, you're very capable of falling. So just don't touch it. But King Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, that was forbidden, the Amorites, the Edomites, the Zionites, and the Hittites, all forbidden by God, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, you shall not go into them, neither shall you come in, neither shall they come in unto you, he's talking sexually, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. But Solomon clave unto these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. Yes. Yes. And I'm telling you, don't you, don't, don't you, don't, don't be deceived. That's right. Oh, I'm stronger than Solomon. My husband, my wife, they're not saved, but I'll marry them anyway. They won't turn my heart from Jesus. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. The wisest man in all the world. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart, verse 4, after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the, of the, of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Amorites, and Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord, as, as did David his father. Then did Solomon build a high place for Shemoth, the abomination of Moab in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. And I won't get into it because it's very gross, but if you study the Bible, Molech they, it was a, 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 they would put, it was a hollow statue and they would put fire in it and his hands were brazen hot, red hot, and they would put brand new babies in the burning hands and they would sacrifice babies burned alive to Molech. And Solomon built that and authored it. I'm telling you. Astroth, they would have giant, I don't mean to be vulgar, but I'm telling you the truth about it. 
They would have giant vaginas and giant penises that they would worship. And they would have sexual orgies in front of everybody with giant, uh, with giant men and women, whatever you call them, appliances. <laughs> whatever they're called. What are the, there's a word I'm looking for. Genitals. Thank you. I told you we'd just be honest with you. I've studied it. I've seen pictures of it. It's disgusting. Giant genitals, 10 feet high, and orgies around them. And he built this. Solomon, the wisest man of, the man of God, authored this. Why could he turn so perverted and so corrupted? Because girls, wives, lovers took him away. Well, I've only got one. He had a thousand. I'll be fine. You're foolish. You're foolish. Well, they, we, we, don't, we don't sacrifice babies and we don't, we don't worship Buddha with the big belly and we don't do this. Yeah, but they still have things that are... A god, idolatry, isn't an idol or a statue necessarily. It can be, but it's not. It's something that's more important than God Almighty. And if they're not saved, there's a whole lot of things more important than God Almighty. Amen. Praise God. So they're in idolatry, whether you believe it or not. Genesis 2 and verse 18. Genesis chapter 2. Watch this now. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helpmeet for him. And another translation, the English Standard and the New Living and others say, especially the ESV translation says, I will make a wife that fits him. God has a wife or husband for you that fits you. An unbeliever or a f somebody that's backslidden doesn't fit you. They might fit you emotionally. They might fit you by your hormones, but they don't fit your spirit. God wants them to have a fit in spiritual areas, not just how good looking they are in their body or how intelligent they are in their mind. It's a spiritual fit that God has. Praise God. Do you see that? Can you see what I'm saying to you? Amen. Let me just read that, that one to you from the uh, Amplified Classic. And it says, what was it again, Taylor? 2.18. Is that what it is? 2.18 from the Amplified Classic. And it says, now the Lord God said, it is not good, sufficient, or satisfactory that man should be alone. I will make a helper, uh, a helper meet for him who is suitable, adapted, and complementary. Now, in, because we're spiritual people, it's not just, well, I'm hot and you're hot and we're all hot and we'll have hot babies and everybody will think we're models. That's not just the only complimentary part. Well, you're too tall for me or you're too short. Well, that may not be complimentary on a natural level, but we're talking about something far more valuable in, the, in your spiritual life, somebody that's complimentary to you. Okay, last verse. I can see they're getting tired, Taylor. And, and then this, this, is an extreme, this is an extreme story. I mean, if you've got a weak stomach, then you, you should, anyway. Numbers chapter 25. This is an extreme story. Numbers chapter 25. I want you to see how God honored somebody that opposed sexual immorality. Numbers chapter 25. And honored him forever for every generation that would come. Numbers chapter 25 and verse 1. And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom. What does that mean? Sexual acts and marriage with the daughters of Moab. See, uncovenanted people. They started dating unbelievers. They started having sex and marrying unbelievers. Do you see this? And they called the people, they, the Moabites, called the Israelites unto their sac the sacrifices of their own gods. And God's people did eat and bow down to their gods. So when you're with unbelievers, you're going to start worshiping what they worship. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor and the anger, that's false gods, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. 
He said them, don't touch these relationships, and they're disobeying. And the Lord said unto Moses, take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord in the light of the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. God is not playing games. He said the ones that went and bowed down and that had sex with these Moabites, take them and hang them in the daylight in front of everybody. Let them hang. This is serious. Now Moses said unto the judges of Israel, slay ye every one his men that were joined unto Baal Peor. In other words, go kill them all. Yeah. Now watch this, now watch this. One guy's real bold. Yeah. Woo, I'm telling you, you don't want to be bold like this guy. And this guy's name is, uh, um, the name, I've only got the daughter. I don't, I don't have the man. Anyway. It says the daughter's name later, but not the man. But anyway, this guy, whoever he is, he's real bold. In verse 6, And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought up his, unto his brethren a Midianitish woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle. That's where the glory comes. Of the congregation. I want you to know this guy is crazy. Yeah. Do you know what he did? They've just given an execution order that anybody that did that is being executed. And this man, bold, bold, bold. He takes a, a, a foreign woman who's forbidden. He takes her right in front of, I mean, I've studied this in all the translations and read commentaries about it. So trust me, I know what I'm talking about. I don't have time to read it all to you, but you can trust me. He takes a woman and one translation says he walked right in front of Moses and went into a, an open door tent laid her down naked and started having sex with her in front of Moses' face as an act of complete and utter defiance to Moses and to God. In other words, you're killing them? Watch what I'll do. I'll not only disobey you, I'll have sex right in front of you. That's what happened. And it says that he did it in front of everybody. While they are weeping in repentance at the door of the tabernacle where the glory was, this guy, they're weeping in repentance, and this guy's having sex with this woman in public as an act of defiance. I'm telling you. And you know, you know what? It's, it's not the same, so don't get mad at me, but it's like somebody parading their unsaved boyfriend into church. I heard a pastor Craig said, but I don't really care. Everybody look, look, at, my, look at my unsaved boyfriend. It's one thing if you were married before you were saved, but when you know right and then you come parading your, your bad decisions in front of the local church, I'm telling you, God don't like that. Yes, amen. We're in a covenant of mercy. It's different, but uh, Phineas ain't going to show up. <laughs> but you, don't, don't kid yourself. You're, 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 not in, you're, just, you're removing yourself from the blessing. And Phineas, verse 7, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest saw it. Oh, my God. He, I tell her, I, I, if I was there, I would be Phineas. Amen. You're not going to do that. You're not going to dishonor my man of God. Right. You're not going to violate the weeping repentance with that kind of nonsense. Yeah. You're going to get it, buddy. And you're going to get it at my hand. Thank God we're not in that covenant because I would be good in that covenant. Amen. I mean, David Hogan would be better in that covenant. I think that's why God put us in this covenant because he knew we'd slaughter everybody. So he put us here where we have to be nice. And rose up from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. So the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. He went and he, he's having sex and he 
puts it right through his back, comes out of his stomach, goes into her stomach and out of her back, and he spears them like pigs with that javelin and kills them. And you think, well, that's a very violent act. Uh, the plague was stayed. That was an act of righteousness. Holy anger against sin. 24,000 died. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, The Phineas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron the priest, has turned away my wrath from the children of Israel, while he was zealous for my sake among them, and that I consumed not the children of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore say, Behold, I give unto him, Phineas, a covenant of peace, and he shall have it and his seed after him, even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made an atonement for the children of Israel by slaughtering those two whores. And whores aren't just women, they're men too. That's right. He stayed the anger of God. Now we're in a new covenant, you've got to remember that. But God's anger is no less when he sees his blood-bought children that are not their own. They are bought with a price, violating his instruction blatantly. He is displeased. That's why he said, gather the singles. Not all. He said, some of them are embarking and endeavoring in relationships that displease me. And if they continue on their course, they will suffer loss. They're not being led by their spirit. They're being led by their emotions. They're being led by their hormones. They're being led by their, their, their loneliness. They're being led by their rejection, their insecurities, whatever. But they've got to be led by this. I hope you're listening. That's all I'm going to say on that. But I, 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 when I was done that, he said, I also want you to share a few scriptures, son, uh, not just on not dating unbelievers, but also on sexual immorality. That means whether you are married and you're messing around, whether you are single and you're messing around. And listen, you can mess around with Christians and it still be sin. It's not just messing around with unbelievers sexually, it's, it's sinning. Whether you're in an adulterous relationship because you're married or whether you're in a fornicative relationship because you're single, whether the person you're having sex with or, or, or being inappropriate sexually with is Christian or not, it's still called sexual immorality. Listen to me. The only time you can touch somebody of the opposite sex in a romantic sexual way is within the covenant of marriage. If you do it outside of that covenant, you are in sexual immorality. Now, there are, there are deviations. In other words, if a, if a dating, courting, they're, about, they're, they're, they're engaged, not talking sex, that's sexual immorality. They're kissing each other and they don't let it go beyond a certain measure, that's fine. But even if they are not, even if they're going to get married, but they're having sex before marriage, it's still sexual immorality. You still need to repent of that. You don't, God doesn't give a pass because you've got a ring on their finger in, in an engagement ring. He only gives the pass when the wedding ring is on the finger. Are you with me? Somebody has to say it, Taylor, because I think people don't understand what God expects. So they're having sex and they're doing all this stuff in the church. Because the pastor doesn't tell people, I don't care that you're about to get married. You can't have sex until you're married. Right. Well, but, but, but I didn't know that. Uh, and I, and I, I have to have sex. I want to have sex. Well, then come down here and I'll marry you in five minutes. It's a holy covenant before God and a minister. Even if you don't have all the paperwork, I'll marry you. And in God's mind, it's clean. Are you with me? 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 to 5. I know it's 9.03, but I have to finish this. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 to 5. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, set-apartness, holiness, that you should abstain from fornication, sex outside of marriage, that every one of you should know how to possess or control his own vessel, his body, in sanctification and in honor. You can control yourself. Not in the lust of con 
concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God. Now, nobody knows what concupiscence means, so let's just read that, please. What is it again, Taylor? Quickly, what is the reference? Oh, uh, 1 Thessalonians 3. 1 Thessalonians 3. 4 or 5. Let me read that from the Amplified thing. Uh, 4 and 5? 4 verse, chapter 4, verse 5. Chapter 4, verse 5. Are you sure? Yes, sir. 4, 3 to 5. Okay. For this is the will of God, that you should be consecrated, separated, and set apart for pure and holy living, that you should abstain and shrink from all sexual vice, that, every, that each one of you should know how to possess, control, and manage his own body in consecration, purity, separated from things profane, and to honor God, not to be used in the passion of lust like the heathen, that would, they have sex with everything that walks, who are ignorant of the true God and have no knowledge of his will. Are you with me? Yes. He says, I expect you to control yourself if you're a believer. You've got the fruit of self-control. You've got the help of the Holy Ghost. Put your flesh under. Yes. And don't be in sexual vice or, or that kind of stuff. Praise God. What about 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18? I only got a couple of these. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This is not about unbelievers now. This is about living clean sexually. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18. And the Bible is clearly clearly lists where it says, flee fornication. That is having sex before you're married. Adultery is having sex with somebody else while you're married. Every sin that a man does is outside his body, but he that committeth fornication sins against his own body. This is a very serious thing to God. You do any other thing, it says it's considered outside your body. Still wrong. So you've got to repent of it, but it's not as bad. Fornication, having sex outside of the covenant of marriage, is a sin against your own body. And the Bible says your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're sinning against the temple of the Holy Spirit when you have sex with somebody and you're not married to them. Or when you're petting so heavily or you're in touching and groping so heavily that it's leading there and it displeases the Holy Ghost. Stop that behavior. You can control yourself. You've got the help of the Holy Ghost. Amen. 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 I know it's on to shout amen sermon, but it has to be said. Hebrews 13 and verse 4. Hebrews 13 and verse 4. Almost done. Hebrews 13 and verse 4. Marriage is honorable in all, and the marriage bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. In other words, people that are living sexually impure lives, he's going to judge them, but you don't have to live sexually impure life. Marry. Right. Paul said if you, if you can't control yourself, if you're burning, marry. It's better to marry than burn. Marry, because the marriage bed is clean. Sexually, it's clean. But it's people that do it outside the marriage covenant is dirty. Are you with me? Yeah. Sex is like a fire. You put it in the fireplace, it heats your home, cooks your food, saves your life. You take it outside the fireplace and you let it put it by the drapes, you're going to burn your house down. Sex uncontrolled will destroy you. Sex within the confines of the covenant of holy marriage is the best thing in the world. Praise God. Amen. Amen. I know of which I speak. Now, Matthew 5 and verse 28. Matthew 5 and verse 28. Oh, hallelujah. But I say unto you, Jesus is serious now. He's, 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 he's hitting home runs on this chapter. That whosoever looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. You don't have to do the act. You just have to imagine it. Think about it. Wish for it. Long for it. Play it out in your mind. You've already done it. So when we're talking about sexual immorality, it's not just doing the act. It's fantasizing about the act. 
that Jesus says is the same as doing it. So what does that mean? Don't just keep your body clean. Keep your thought life clean. How are you going to do that watching pornography? How are you going to do that talking dirty, vulgar jokes? Listening to people's sexual conquests at work because you're too afraid to say, be quiet. Have a backbone. Stand up for what you believe. Praise God. Because if you think and fantasize and desire it in your heart, even if you didn't do it, Jesus said in his eyes, you've done it. Talking about sexual immorality in your mind, not just your body. And the last one, Ephesians 5, 1 to 6. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1 to 6. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Actually, I'm going to read this from the Amplified because it it says it better. What was that again? Ephesians 5, 1 to 6. Is that right? Therefore, be imitators of God. Copy him and follow his example as well-beloved children imitate their father. And walk in love, esteeming and delighting in one another as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a slain offering and sacrifice to God for you so that it became a sweet fragrance. But immorality, sexual vice, and all impurity of lustful, rich, wasteful living or greediness must not even be named among you as is fitting and proper among saints, God's consecrated people. Let there be no filthiness, obscenity, indecency. That includes how you dress. You ladies that are dressing with everything falling out to entice men, the Bible says that's wrong. I don't mean you have to be Amish and wear jean skirts to your ankles, but you do have to look at Pastor Nancy. She's a great example. She's modern. She's beautiful. She's got a beautiful physique and form, but she wears clothes that are attractive, but that are not suggestive, that are not causing people to stumble or lust. And you, you need people... Men, it's harder to do. Women have more curves. So this usually applies to women than men, but it applies to both. Okay? Uh, Let there be no filthiness, obscenity, indecency, nor foolish and sinful, silly and corrupt talk, or coarse jesting, that's dirty jokes, which are not fitting or becoming, but instead voice your thanksgiving to God. For to be sure of this, that no person practicing sexual immorality or vice or impurity in thought or in life Remember Jesus said, if you think it, in thought or in life, that's action. Or one who is covetous, who has lustful desire for the property of others and is greedy for gain, for he in effect is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. What Jesus is saying here is, if you're saved, you shouldn't be talking dirty, dressing dirty, thinking dirty, living dirty with any kind of sexual immorality or perversion. I won't get into it, but 1 Corinthians chapter 5 says those that do that, you're not even, chapter 7, no, chapter 5, 1 Corinthians 5, it says those that do that list six different sins. One of them is sexual immorality outside the covenant of marriage. You're to kick them out of the church. You're not to have anything to do with them. You're not even allowed to eat with them. They are no longer a brother to you if they're sinning sexually. And not just that, if they are railers, that means extreme screaming and outbursts of rage. If they're extortioners robbing people of money. If they're drunkards and they've got addictions that are uncontrolled. There's a, there's a whole list of them. You're not even, they kick them out of the church. They're not even allowed to be here. Don't even eat with them. Because that is not the actions of a believer. So my brothers, my sisters, single people, everybody, whoever you are, have an answer for those when they ask. God expects us. He wants us if we desire it in our heart to have the right mate. He wants to give us a mate that fits us and is complementary for us, not just naturally, but
but spiritually. He will do it if you pray in the Holy Ghost and pray out the mystery, pray out the plan and get that knowing. And don't engage in relationships without that knowing or as you're growing, if, if they're Christians and because and, and, if they're not saved, you don't have any right. They're, you've got to cut them out. But if they're saved, even if they're not part of our flow and all, all our stuff that we do, they go to another church, but you feel peace, proceed cautiously, but go with that inward witness, go with that knowing. I've spent a long time talking about something very, very basic. I've never done it in 12 years of pastoring this church. I've never given scriptures like this. But, but I've noticed over the years, people, it's astonishing to me how they'll hear me preach something and then they'll totally violate it and go and date somebody who's not saved. And I heard the Holy Ghost say, I want you to give them scriptures. I want this to be on record. I want people to look back in the future that have questions and they just 15, there's many others, but just give a few scriptures. I picked 15, he didn't say 15, but give a few scriptures from Old and New Testament that show clearly that I am not not, there is no permission, zero tolerance for dating, marrying, having any sexual romantic encounters whatsoever with people outside the covenant who are not born again. Yeah. Even if they're backslidden, they, they, they're included. They've got to be right with God. And then separate to that, although connected to that, and I only gave you, what, six scriptures on that, five scriptures on that, is that he still expects you to be sexually pure. It's not just about not dating sinners. It's about when you're dating, even as Christian, be pure. Don't be having sex outside the covenant of marriage. Don't be a fornicator. Don't be talking dirty, dressing dirty, thinking dirty, watching dirty things. Don't do that. Don't do that. And when you're married, don't be looking out and scoping the field and then being an adulterer because sexual immorality is still required even if you're dating a Christian. Are you with me? I don't know why God is emphasizing this so strongly, but I have a sense that he wants this year to end with some straight talk on what he expects the young people and the older people and anybody in this church, what he expects them and how he expects them to live, what he expects them to do when it comes to the opposite sex. He wants straight talk because where we're going, congregation, uh, there will be uh, less allowed than before because the anointing, the mantle has come and what people got away with before that increased power and, and, and holiness requirements. They're not, gonna, they're not gonna get away with it in 2021 the same way. Of course, they'll get away with whatever they want. They just won't be a part of this church. They'll become a blockage to the flow of God and the Holy Ghost, the anointing of God will actually remove them from this church. Praise God, I don't want that to happen. It doesn't have to happen. You need to say to humble yourself. Father, if you tell me to live right, I'll live right. I may be lonely. I may be afraid that my biological clock is ticking. And by the way, can I just say something just as I close? Because this is, this is really humorous to me, but, but, but very sad at the same time. You know what I've noticed, Taylor? When people, young people, anybody, older people, doesn't matter their age, doesn't matter their gender, doesn't matter their skin color, but when they're dating somebody that they know in their heart is not exactly right, they all of a sudden become distant. They all of a sudden become secretive. Now they don't talk to me the same way. Now they don't want me to know. Now they don't want anybody or their friends to know. Now it's all, well, that's my private business. No, no, th th that's a joke. When you are dating right, you're shouting it from the rooftops. You are proud. You are happy. You are, look what God gave me. I'm so happy. You're not secretive. Listen to me. When you go into the shadows, it's darkness. When you're trying to be secretive and hiding, well, that's just, I'm private. Well, you weren't private before. So don't just tell me that you're private. People think they pull the wool over my eyes. Like I was, bo I was born at night. I wasn't born last night. 
Some of you ladies, you all of a sudden go like little clams. You go, your mouth is good. And I know, you don't understand anything. I know you're, I know you're not right. Because now you're not talking. Now you're, hit, now you're withdrawing. Now you're, you're going back. You, you, you don't want to talk to me. You don't want to talk to others. And, and, and I ask, oh, no, they're tight-lipped. They're tight-lipped. Well, listen, if it's a surprise, it can be a legitimate, true relationship, godly relationship, but you just don't want anybody to know right now. And that's okay. There's exceptions. But usually when people go real tight-lipped like that and they don't want anybody to know, it's because their heart condemns them. In their spirit, they know they're wrong. In their spirit, they know this person is unsaved, automatically wrong. This person's backslidden, automatically wrong. Or this person's a Christian, but I don't have a, I have a check, but I'm proceeding anyway because my biological clock. I'm so desperate. I don't know if another man will want me. I don't know if another girl will want me. So I'm going to take the first one that shows me any kind of affection. That's called desperation and it stinks. Why don't you get in the spirit and let the Holy Ghost bring you the right one instead of taking the crumbs from the table? You deserve the loaf, my brother, my sister. You don't deserve the crumb. Don't just take the leftovers. Take the best that God has for you. And I notice that when people are making wrong decisions, they go in the shadows. They hide away in darkness because their heart condemns them. Their spirit is convicted. There's a red flag and they don't want anybody telling them that. They just want to just leave me alone. Just leave me alone because it's easier to sin when nobody is. But what does James say? Confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. Brother Taylor, I'm dating this person and it's wrong. I know it's wrong. I confess that to you. I, I need healing in my heart, not just my body, but I need healing in my heart because I'm lonely and I'm afraid and I don't think anybody else is going to love me. I need God to heal that in me. I confess this to you. I bring it out into the light. Pray with me. Believe with me. I, I, need, I need somebody to stand with me so I can break that wrong, that, that wrong relationship. I'm not going to take the crumb. I'm going to take the loaf. Amen. And that takes faith. That takes a great trust in God. But if you will show him you trust him, he will not let you down. Amen. So don't shy away. Good, don't shy away because you, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yes, sir. Hallelujah. I know some folks were very concerned because we had a number of emails come in last week because I said, if they're not saved, they're toxic waste. Dump them like toxic waste. Yes. But that didn't come out of my mind. That bubbled up out of my spirit. And I know, and I said the whole Holy Ghost, you, you sure? Like, you, you're, pretty, you're pretty direct. And I heard the Holy Ghost in my heart say, if they date toxic waste, it'll be toxic for them. Amen. He does, he loves the person, he died for them. But to your spiritual development, they will be toxic to you because their God, their father is Satan. If they're not born again. That's why he was bold like that last week. Don't be offended with me. I have to be direct with you. In this generation, you got to slap people a little bit. You got to shake them because all this diplomatic, what is it? Diplomatically correct garbage and nonsense. It don't work. It just goes right over your head and then you don't even remember what I said. But if I say something that slaps you a little bit, or in that case, the Holy Ghost says something that grabs your attention a little bit, you go, ooh, ooh, wow, I can't believe he said that. It wasn't me. It was God that said that. Yeah. Yeah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. You, I'm, I'm done. Aww. Let me, <laughs> you're so sweet. <laughs> Let me simply say this as my closing thought. Our church has taught you better than other certain, I know we're not the best church by far, but we've taught some things in this church for people to sit under this teaching and then go off and marry or date or have sex outside of marriage as immorality or marry or date somebody that's not saved after what we've taught, after the standard of righteousness and holiness that we hold as a banner. 
it will be worse for you. Because if you went to a place that didn't teach anything, there's more excuse with God. To whom much is given, the Bible says, much is required. If he gave you revelation sitting here, he requires something of you. So I'm warning you, you it's your fault for coming here. <laughs> but God brought you here. God planted you here. So when I, I'm joking when I say it was your fault. In other words, you chose to come. God brought you. You yielded to him. You're learning. Don't ignore and, and discard the precious revelation truths, the golden nuggets, the pearls of great price that you've got from the word from me and from the other ministers that stand behind this pulpit and think you're going to get away with basic things that you should know better on because by sitting under this kind of teaching there'll be more you'll be held to a higher standard when you get to heaven Jesus will say I expected more from you because you didn't go to some dead church that taught you it's okay to to date sinners you went there and Pastor Craig told you pretty clear and you did it out of rebellion so listen don't just 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 have a heart that loves Jesus. Have a heart that loves Jesus more than anything else. It should be more important to you to please him and to be led by the spirit than to have some companion. And the companion will come, but it's got to be second. Seek first the kingdom. Seek first being right before God. He will add. Don't seek adding to yourself and being wrong. Seek him and he will add. Praise God, and it works. Heavenly Father, I know it was a different flow tonight, a very maybe unusual flow, maybe than what they're used to. Maybe it's even unusual for what I'm used to. And Lord, it's not necessarily my favorite flow because it's corrective in nature and it's, and it's methodical in nature and it's many scriptures. But you spoke to me this afternoon and you said, tonight, this is what you do. So I know I lay my head on the pillow tonight with a clear conscience knowing I've obeyed you and I've said exactly what you asked me to say. I read the scriptures that you touched my heart on. I've told them about not just dating and being involved with unbelievers, but also about living clean and thinking clean. Father, I know that you're pleased with this. I know that this will go on record for f future people to refer back to that maybe come to the church in the future and don't know the Bible and don't know what it says. But it's also on record for those in this congregation right now that they would hear and that they would obey. Lord, everyone that is believing for a mate, Everyone that is believing for a husband or wife, respectively, I pray, Father, that the help of the Holy Ghost would come and rise up within them like a storm, that trust and faith in you would be their portion, that they would make a decision that they want you more than that spouse, and they would rather not have the spouse than hurt and displease and disobey your promptings, but that they don't have to pick or choose. They can have the spouse and please you, but what they need to do is yield to you. They need to cut out relationships that are unsaved. They need to cut out relationships that they know are they're grieved about in their spirit even if they are saved and they need to pray and pray and pray in the Holy Ghost and pray out the plan like Pastor Nancy did Lord she did it extreme for three weeks eight hours a day they don't have to necessarily do that unless they want to but the point is she prayed out the plan and revelation knowledge came about Dr. Dufresne 20 years apart they, nobody would have put those two as a couple but you divinely joined them and it was a marriage and a match made in heaven because she got the inner knowing by praying in tongues. Lord, let them get the inner witness, the knowing of the Holy Ghost about their future mate, about who they're dating, by not their mind or their emotions, their hormones, their loneliness, their, their biological clock, their insecurity, their rejection issues, whatever. Let them get that knowing by their spirit, by praying in the Holy Ghost, and they will see they never have to make another hard decision again because the Spirit of God will aid them and help them and lead them. 
And Lord, you will bring them the right one and their joy will be made full. You've done it for me. You've done it for others. You don't love us more or less. You are no respecter of persons. I bless them. I thank you for those that have watched that you help them and you honor them tonight in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen and Amen.